style of, of preaching is, uh, it varies from person to person. In, in my particular case, it, it, I think it varies with the uh, utterance of God that he puts in my heart, my spirit. I don't always try to, I'm not trying to, to, to have an aha moment at in the end of all of the sermons or somewhere in the middle, but the path that I usually take presents something that is revealed later. This is not the case today, so it, it could take just a, a few minutes. You're already going to be there. <laughs> I won't lengthen it for any measure to keep us here longer than need be, but there is a um, a word that the Lord would offer the people of God, and it goes beyond us, but it pertains to us. We are the church, but not the whole church. We are the bride, but not the whole bride. Parts of the bride are meeting in other countries right now. They will later today. Some have already met. And so we're not it. In fact, the bride is millions of people. We, most of which you'll never know until you get to heaven. And then by the time you get there, it'll, it'll take you a couple thousand years just to meet everybody. And, and, and at that juncture, you'll have a new body you'll look better than you do right now. Somebody said amen. Boy, I can't wait for that. You'll feel better. You won't be sick and achy. You won't have to take any medication. You won't be tired. You won't be sorrowful. You won't won't be down. You're never going to be depressed or anxious or or disturbed. (laughs) Amen. All right, let's get to it. Judges chapter 7. And I'm just reading a couple verses. Sister Crystal is here today. Sister Crystal Young and baby. We're so glad that you're back here today. Thank you for being here. Welcome. Amen. Judges chapter 7 verse 1. Are you ready now? Then... Jerubbaal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early, pitched beside the wall of Harad, so that the host of Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Marah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel vaunt themselves against me saying my hand save me I did it just for a moment I preach too many for me amen all the people said amen Thank you. you. May be seated. When you're seated, just give God praise because He's good. 
just out of your mouth when you're seated, just lift him up out of your mouth. You are a good God. You're, you're a great Savior. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. And a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. There is no one like our God. And what God spoke cannot be received by us until there is a confession by us. We did not set the world in order. God did. And God sets the boundaries of his own limitations. Think. These are not limitations of time or power. They are not fences of waned strength or weaknesses. He's not lost his immutable characteristic. His is the power, the strength, and the glory forever. Amen. But God has decided by his own will and according to his own counsel, God has decided That he will not perform his most defined and inexplicable work when there are too many people relying on their own hand and not his. He set the boundary and it is at the border of humanism. Even when the people of God, believers no less, have the means to complete the task without him or if there is a chance that we can, God says... There are too many for me. That is part and parcel of the Pentecostals' decay. When the 1900 church Pentecostal exploded in revival, they had nothing but the Lord. They had no money. They had no buildings, really. They they were beggars. They were hurt. They were wounded. But they built their their lives around the Lord and they built their homes around the church. They wanted to be close. And it was not just because of convenience or lack of transportation. But they built their lives around the church. And there needs to be a confession. God is great. He was great. He is great. He will be great. But less of us and more of him is the only way you're ever going to see his greatness. (laughs) 
There needs to be a confession here today in this house and in every place which purports to be the house of worship. Whether it is a motivational speech or reliance upon good and old-fashioned Pentecostal church services. There's a pitfall there. Watch. Or the profundity of organization or structure. None is greater than God. And we can do nothing without him. We achieve nothing. We have nothing. We are nothing. We obtain nothing. We got to have a confession. We have to praise him for his mighty works and according to his excellent greatness. And if not, hear me, we're going to wonder where God is. And I'll tell you where he's at. He's standing at the border of your ability. It's too many for God. Uh, in the scripture that I read to you, the context, it, it, it's... It's a, it's a little complex. Uh, Mount Carmel is actually a mountainous range. Um, it, it, it's not just one mountain, but there is a, a, a defined Mount Carmel, but it's, it's a mountainous area. It overlooks this beautiful Jezreel Valley. When, when we go up to Mount Carmel, we can see this beautiful Jezreel Valley, massive. This particular valley contains some of the most fertile soil in the whole world. Um, it's a place of a thousand seeds, a, Hundreds and hundreds of harvest throughout the centuries. A rich, the rich soil. It's a black with all of the minerals in it. The trade routes for centuries actually would converge in the Jezreel Valley. But because the land was also flat uh, and, and it was convenient, it made for a great battlefield. And to this end, both the Midianite army and the Amalekite army are camped there against the withering hand of a weakened Israel. It only seems fitting to put the seed into context because this particular scripture has a, a myriad of, of, of facets. The enemy is a, uh, that's coming, they are a desert people and consequently they live off of the harvest of other people. Other people plant and, 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 and they work and then they harvest and the Midianites live off of the work of someone else. They wait until someone has planted and cultivated and pruned and cared for the plants and the harvest and then they sweep in to take possession of the grain or the fruit. It's, it's an egregious act. It's been repeated for centuries. And there is a spiritual matter to consider here before I move on. People who bear the weight of prayer and people who fast, they keep the church going while other folks stand back living off of the dutiful sacrifice of someone else. There's a spiritual matter, and the voice of the Holy Spirit is prodding me. We, we can only live off the sowing and watering and, and harvest of someone else so long. It will end in your life. It's a fallacy to think that anyone can hold on to the coattails of the intercessor forever. There comes a time, and it comes quickly, hear me, when you must plant your own seed and make your own sacrifice. There comes a time when you have to use your own voice for prayer. The saints pray. Thank God for the saints that pray. An atmosphere is set. Praise God for it. Sacrifice has been given. Prudence and judgment, justice, wisdom, all of it and more have been exercised with discretion on behalf of the unsuspecting and often unknowing or even think unthankful participant. But there comes a time when you need your own harvest 
that come from your own seed and your own cultivating and your own sacrifice. My brother and I grew up with mom and dad. We had prayer time in the evening. Dad would pray a little bit, moan, sometimes fall asleep. Mom would carry it on. We've heard mom pray many times. The prayers of my mother, some of them were wonderful. Some of them were humorous. Sometimes she would say, God, you know, I can't carry this by myself, but if you don't help me, I'll go ahead and do it. Her license plate says God's are in just in case he gets ill. She's taking no chances. Prayers of my mother have echoed in my mind. I would sometimes just kneel there and listen to her pray. And I would just say, whatever she says, Lord, that's what I want to. And sometimes she was praying and I would say, oh, Lord, that's good. Just do what she asked. But there came a time when I had to have my own groan. I didn't realize no one can groan in the spirit for me. It's got to be my own prayer, my own anguish, my own desperation. And come a time when I couldn't rely upon somebody else. Thank God for the prayers, but if you can pray, open up your mouth and pray. Whatever comes out of your mouth, you will not offend God. You, 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 you might offend somebody listening to you, but you won't offend God if you're in sincerity. It doesn't have to be fancy or elaborate. You don't have to pray in King James English. Sometimes you just have to say, say, when was the last time you just said, I'm a mess. I got to have help. When was the last time you said, I got, I, I have a need, Lord, and I need you. I can't do this by myself because every time I try to do it, I fail. Here's the psalmist. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, will, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringeth his sheaves with him. It's a personal thing. My tears, my weeping, my seed, my planting, my time, my harvest. David said, I cannot offer God something that costs me nothing because real commitment and real sacrifice is a personal matter. It's personal. You can't live off the sacrifices of someone else. Not your uncle, not your aunt, not your parents, not your grandparents. And the reason why you're dry is because that's what you've been doing and it's run out. No one can make a sacrifice on your behalf. No one can make a commitment for you. But it's time for you to make a commitment. Mm. The harvest is that sustaining joy that comes from time and commitment that you make. The years of... This is just, I've seen this, watching, hearing the many stories of now grown children of the saints. It's come to my attention, some even in ministry, some in the pastor's home, some in membership. But the story is all the same. A sacrifice was made and the younger generation offered nothing. They just talked about what their parents did. And consequently, they have a secondhand relationship with the offering. 
they didn't make it. They were just watching it happen. And they lived off of their parents' harvest until it ran out. And ultimately, they never made a sacrifice. And today, they're dry and indifferent. And until you make a commitment to God and not just come in and park yourself on a pew somewhere, you're never going to know the joy of the Holy Ghost. You're not going to live off the weeping and the tears of your mom and dad. They're going to run out. They have already run out. And the reason why we have now second, third, fourth generation Pentecostals that have no relationship with the apostolic doctrine is because there's been no personal sacrifice in their life. Hear me. Everybody has got to bring a harvest. You cannot live off the harvest of anybody else. I'm thankful for what my parents did. I'm thankful for the time they gave to the kingdom. But I got to say, I cannot live off of their sacrifice. And I'm grateful for what me and Tammy are doing. Thank God we can give our best. But those four children that I have, hear me. You've got to make your own prayer time and your own commitment and your own dedication. I hope someone can hear me now. It's an egregious act to live off the harvest of someone else. Well, I don't, I don't need, let me tell you how, oh, Jesus, help me. If you haven't been in that prayer room in five years, don't wait till prayer 300 to go to the prayer room. Wait a second. What? I'm going to preach to a bunch of people who don't pray, who don't seek, who don't fast. No wonder why we're struggling. We're going to struggle. I'll tell you why you're struggling. you got to make your own prayer time and your own sacrifice. If you want to get to the altar and you say there's a lot of people there, then when the first song, song starts out, run to the altar and begin to worship God. But if you're always standing back watching what's happening, then you're going to wonder, where's my strength? This, this, this word has been on me for a while, and I've got to say it. I've said it three times now. This is my fourth time. If you don't make a commitment, your children are going to grow up. They'll have no relationship with the truth. And you won't even know that they've been backslidden the whole time because you've been backslidden. I am not the evangelist. <laughs> It's okay, I, 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 I think I can preach this if no one said a word and you were silent. I've already had more than my allotment of caffeine. I'm good, I'm rolling. It's been years of watching. Harvests have been taken. People living off of that. Coming in, living off of that. Coming and feeling good, going home. Boy, that was good. But there's been no prayer time in your life. And then if you don't feel it, you walk out and say, well, you know what? Just I didn't feel anything today. Well, you didn't put anything into it. You're looking for a T-bone steak revival on a hot dog commitment. What'd you put in? I put in Oscar Mayer. What'd you want out of it? I, I wanted I had roast beef. I want something good. Well, you didn't put anything into it. <laughs> I'll tell you what you got to do. If you really want God in your life and your children to be saved and your home to be right. Then on Monday morning when you get up, you get inside the house and you say, the Lord is welcome in this house. If you're waiting to get to Sunday, you're already dry. It ought to be Monday and Tuesday. On Thursday afternoon, Jesus ought to be in your home. 
I'm trying to help you. I'll tell you why you're struggling. Because you never made it to commitment. I'll say this again because it has been said to me years ago when we started building this building. And someone said, I'll come when you get it done. (laughs) Okay. I just smiled and I said, okay, no problem. (laughs) I don't know. Did you come? (laughs) If you've come, I hope you're convicted. That old, that old saying, I don't know what it was. If you build it, they will come. Really? Who's building it? I got it. The world will come. People will come. But you're the saints of the most high God. Can't live off the harvest of someone else or the work. You've got to do the work. Let me, since I have the captive audience, what happened to Bible study on Wednesday night? Did you get too busy for Bible study? Are you so well equipped that you don't need Bible study? I don't, I don't even need an amen. Don't, don't even give me no amen. I don't need an amen. I'm, I think I got a fever. <laughs> I'm delirious. <laughs> you'll make it. You'll, you'll make it through. I got some fresh jokes for next week. Watch now. Gideon is a self-proclaimed pessimist. He's in the chosen people. He's in the lineage of Abraham. But he's a down and outer. He don't think anybody loves him. He's not good enough. (laughs) He... He says, I'm the least of, the, of my tribe, and my tribe is the least of the 12. I'm at the lowest of the low. But to his credit, he's also a realist. Thank God there's a few realists out here. You know, the realist sees the storm cloud and brings an umbrella. There's a few people who say, it's not going to rain. <laughs> There's, there's trouble, but they act like there's no trouble. There's oppression, but they act like that they're free. So to his credit, he's a realist, and he's grinding wheat in a wine press, which indicates there are no grapes. <laughs> That's what the wine press is for, is to get inside and smash the grapes so that you have some juice. But also in a wine press, there's no wind because to hand thresh wheat, you need a high place and wind. So when you throw the wheat in the air after stopping it, the wind blows away the chaff. The the heavy seed falls back to the ground. You gather the seed and then you grind it and you make bread. The grain that he is grinding is not chaff free. The bread is not pure. And Gideon is hiding because the Midianites and the Amalekites are going to take his grain if they find him. So he's threshing his wheat in in seclusion without wind, without air. And his is a tedious task. And it's in that setting that God will speak to him and call him into leadership and say, the mighty man of valor. 
course, he doesn't receive that either. He doesn't receive it because when you're down and low and you're a pessimist, even an angel from God's not going to shake you out. You're questioning that. From a few words and replies of the scripture, it offers us incredible things. It does not look like Gideon is qualified to lead anybody. But through a series of signs and the goodness of God, of fire from a rock, there's much more. Gideon will accept the call and he'll gather people. He'll start to gather men. And I'm moving quickly through the biblical narrative just to say that at the peak of Gideon's recruitment, he has managed to convene 32,000 men for the army. But the opposing armies, there are two of them, they have hundreds of thousands of men, which means that Gideon's 32 was still a paltry group against the enemy. However, stranger things have happened. With that number, a little planning, maybe some luck, throw in some ingenuity, strategies maybe, who knows what they could do. Gideon is calling God, uh, Gideon is, is called by God. He's been given a miraculous sign. God's on his side and, and Gideon's doing the work. He's gathered them in to fight and defeat the enemy because they steal the harvest. They are oppressors that live off the work of someone else. There is a cause. There is a purpose. There is a call. But along with the right things is this consistent underlying issue that has plagued the people of God for as long as they have existed. Here it is. Hold on. It's very unsettling. This scripture is very unsettling to us. God said, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. I will not give to another. And my praise. Here's another version. I'm the Lord. I will not share the praise with any person or with a carved idol. Eugene Patterson wrote, I am God. That's my name. I don't franchise my glory. Let, let's simply, let's simplify it for a moment. I am God. You are not. If I do something, it will be by me for me because of me. If I do it, it wasn't because you were good. You can never be good enough to supersede my goodness. In fact, at your best, you're like a filthy rag that's been well used. Reading your Bible. And when Gideon presented his 32,000 men, God reduced them to 300 men. 32,000 was already poor odds. But 300 is only God. 32,000 is cleverness, strategic planning, careful study, looking at the land. But 300 is no way unless the Lord fights the battle. Let me put it this way. Are you ready? His glory does not give us a fighting chance. His glory will never give you a fighting chance. Because if you have a fighting chance, too many for God. If you can put on your own shield, then you don't need to quote Psalm 3. And if you can manage your own strength, then there's no mention of Psalm 62. And if you can think, think through your own situation and trust in your own solution, then you don't need to read Psalm 20. Only God can do the battle, and we've got to get back to this confession. He is the Lord. It's all by Him, through Him, for Him, because of Him. I feel like I'm preaching to a to a human spirit that has infected 
the minds of the people that believe in God. I'm not just preaching to us, but to anyone and to the spirit. Where is the human fault line? It must be at the border of self-sufficiency. God called Gideon, but God would not give the victory until there was no way that they consider the strength or that they would ever consider the strength of their own hand. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me saying, my own hand saved me. Because doing well and doing good is a danger of your flesh. I'm not telling you that pride doesn't infect the poor. I've known far more poor folk who complained about not having two nickels to rub together than any group of people that I've ever met. Rich or poor, pride can destroy you. But just know that pride is the infection of your spirit. It withstands God. It looks at worshipers that are openly demonstrative and it secretly mocks them for their demonstrative praise. And pride says, I don't need to do that. That's just not my personality. No, that's your pride. Because when you get to heaven, you're going to bow, run, dance, throw your crown. But here, your clothes must be too good. Your position must be too well established. There ought to come a time when you say, it's all because of him. Because the reason that the, that the servant came and bowed and the woman came and, and, and poured her oil out, Jesus said, if you're forgiven much, you love much. But apparently, the modern day church hasn't been given, forgiven of that much. Oh, man, I know I'm, oh, Lord, help me. It, 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 pride boasts of its own achievements. It is the showcase of the me disposition. If God uses you in dreams or visions or some other spiritual gift, then walk carefully. Be careful because even spiritually gifted people have lost their walk with God because they trusted in what they said and not what they heard. Oh, man. I did not set the limitations. God did. I did not consider the line of his glory. He did. That's why we've got to stand back and say, all the praise. How much? All the praise belongs to God. How much? All the glory. You better get this. All the glory. All the honor. You don't extract anything from that. You don't pull out anything of that. You don't say, I, I thank God what he did, but you know, I, I had a hand in it. You had no hand in it. God did it all. Somebody asks you, how did you get here? You don't say, well, you know what? I I felt I needed to be there. No, you say, God drew me and God rescued me and the Lord picked me up and God saved me. You didn't have a hand in that. And, 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 And if you start to have a hand in your success, it'll be the undoing of your life. And then all of a sudden we think, hey, you know what? I've been, I've been faithful. Really? I'm glad you've been faithful. Some things are your, just your reasonable service. If my children say, Dad, aren't you proud of me? I brushed my teeth. I took a shower. 
what we've done is we've reduced everything as if this is some great act on our part. We are totally dependent on God. We can do nothing without the Lord. And the difference, see, I've got to talk to Pentecostals today. I'm not talking about the Baptists and the Presbyterian. I'm not talking about the Catholics. I'm talking about the Pentecostals. It's a huge movement. It's not even a denomination. It's a huge movement. Let me just talk about Pentecostals. Because they're in a dangerous place. Because now they're, they're printing their own merchandise. They, they've got their own things. And now the new thing has been, been printed all over the place on mugs and t-shirts and hoodies and hats. It says, in quotes, Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things. In quote. That's not the scripture. The scripture is this. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And it implies I was weak. I could do nothing but because he strengthened me. Something I could not produce myself. That's how I did it. How did you do it? I, was, I don't even really know. I, I was weak. I was struggling. I was down. I was inept. I, I didn't have the words. I didn't have the power. But when he started to move through me, when he started to move, I could do it because he struck. I, I was, I was gone. But now there's a difference. Now we've got all these printed items around Pentecost and it just says I could do all things. That's a lie. Someone should have said, no, you cannot do it. That's a lie. It's more than just a lie. It's self-reliance. You can do some things. You might be able to do a few things. You can do the wrong thing. You can mess up everything. You can lead yourself and other people astray. You can fail. You can wither. You can accomplish maybe some temporal things, but you cannot do all things. You can do human things. But you can only do all things if Christ is moving through you. If you have experienced a miracle in your life, God did that. If you make it to heaven, you were saved by grace. I'm obedient. To the scripture. I'm going to repent. I will be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of my sins. Because it's in the Bible. But that's just the birth process. If I get there, it's because he, he allowed me to go. Wait, wait a second. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that I don't obey Acts 2.38 and I'm not trying to live a holy separate life. Because that's my reasonable service. Living a holy life in this world is like getting up brushing your teeth. It's combing your hair. Of course you're not going to be like the world. Because the world is corrupt. All that's ever been in the world is the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. But if you ever make it or achieve anything in God because he brought you there. Sometimes when you walk into a place, you can feel... A welcome or a resistance. And there's a spiritual realm right now. I'm sorry, I don't want to be mystical, but there's a spiritual realm around me. And it's fighting the word from getting into your heart. Because I'm attacking the very thing that the devil loves to use. Satan is never greater than your own flesh. 
He would love to destroy you, but your flesh can destroy you greater than all the demonic spirits in hell. I'm battling that spirit that would try to try to hinder the seed that I'm planting in your life. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. I want you to stand and proclaim his glory. He's not going to share with another. His praise is going to be out of my mouth because he is God and I am not. It is he that's made me and not myself. We are the sheep of his pasture. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Everything. He's before all things. It was the Lord that did that. It was the Lord that did that. Be careful before you say people did that if God did it. Because what you're doing is you're taking the glory away from God. I'm going to tell you right now. It was the Lord that sustained this church when we are on the north side of this, in this highway. It's the Lord that gave us the property. It was not us. It was God that built the building and not us. And anybody who says... And anyone who says... Well, they just had a bunch of key people let me just tell you that's a lie that's a lie and anytime they say that they're taking the glory and the praise away from God it was the Lord that did that how dare you take his glory away it was God that did that that's like saying well the reason why they're saved because they got a good mom and good daddy that's not true the reason why they're saved because the Lord saved them and the Lord brought them and the Lord rescued them I feel this in my spirit. I've got to tell you this now. And if you say, I don't think they can be saved. They're so far from God. Well, who are you to say how far they are? What's your distance? Is your distance, well, they're good people, so they'll be great Christians. What are you talking about? God's used the, the, the down, the out, the, the, the vagrant, the, the, the whoremonger, the, the, the thief, the liar. Such were some of you, but you forgot that God, what's the distance? What is that distance? Oh, that's your distance, but that's not God's distance. Let me just help you with the distance. When you figure out how far deity is to dust, then you'll figure out how far he came just to rescue your dirty rotten soul and when you didn't even know him he was thinking about you when he spread out his arms it was the Lord it was the hand of God I'm almost through just please be seated and Tell somebody that you're enjoying this for a moment. Or just tell them this is, you can't wait till this is over. Watch now. It might look benign. But today believers are told to believe in themselves. I might be a little bit of a throwback. But this new concept is not my father's religion. My father's religion said, without God, 
we're not going to be able to do it anyway. So we're just going to step out on faith. And God's going to have to, he's going to have to help us because we'll just sink. We're going to move in faith, but if it happens, we're going to know that it was the Lord. In fact, it could be that God needs to put you in a position where you know it was the Lord. He wants to remove that little thought in the back of your mind where you think, well, you know what? I know, but I did take the medicine. I'm glad you took the medicine. Take the medicine. And if the medicine helped you, guess what? The Lord put in the mind of the doctor to make the medicine. So if it was the medicine or the surgery or a healing or a miracle, it all came from God anyway. (laughs) might be a little, might think it's not a big deal, but believers now are told to look inward. But, but there was a generation of believers that did not look inward. They looked upward. Because when they looked inward, they knew they didn't have it anyway. All they had was God. And then the Pentecostals changed. And many of them climbed out of poor educations. They, they climbed out of high schools. And they achieved post-secondary educations. I love that. It's wonderful. We've all, we're doing it. We, we've got it. And then they made a little more money. And then they began to refine themselves. And they soon had ideological positions and philosophies. And instead of being settled, they were in a constant state of flux. And all resorted back to the fallback option that they had in their personal resources. And so they didn't give out of their want. They, got, they gave out of their abundance. They forsook giving out of their want. And they rationalized what they could afford. Okay. I'm very uncomfortable. Are you? Unco- I'm very uncomfortable. You're making me very uncomfortable. How am I making you? <laughs> it's not just a higher standard of living. It, it's 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 people who now we we don't think God first. We we think nine one one. We don't think the Lord first. We think government. We don't think the altar first or the prayer room. We think counseling. Instead, you got you to get back to the things where God lives. You want to talk to somebody, but you haven't really talked with God. I, I dare say, you probably wouldn't need to talk to anybody if you talked to God. And you're waiting on God. And it could be that he doesn't give you an answer right away. But you just keep on coming back and talking to him. But the answer that he does give you. Is going to be greater than all the answers that everybody can give you. All right. Uh, If this is your first time to preach. To hear me preach. um, uh, I hope it's not your last time. Uh, there's another thing that's happening, and I, I've got to tackle this because it, there's a spirit happening. It's another group that says, well, we just need to get back to old-time religion. 
We just, we, you know, we just need to have the spirit move and shout and run. And then we leave the church and we say, we had church tonight. You see, that's also a place that people trust in the song. They trust in the structure. Oh, God's moving our church. Well, what happened? We were running. We were dancing. I love all of that. But did you start trusting in that? See, because what you did was you trusted in the emotional response. We just need to get back to hard preaching. Did the hard preaching save your soul? Or did it just appease your arrogancy? Careful. Careful. Because that means that God can only speak to you one way. And if you allot him just a little bit of time and you do the rest, he's too many for him. Too much stuff for him. Do you understand? You can live off an experience, but it's your experience. He's nowhere in the picture. It's, that's just your favorite song. I know. I've been there. We're singing about 10 times. And people start worshiping on the 11th and the 12th time. About about 20 times around, everybody got excited. And they got excited because someone else got excited. And somebody got blessed. And they were having their harvest. And a couple people over there went over and they, they wanted to take the harvest. They got no relationship with the struggle. We just got to get back to old time. What are you talking about? How old? 1965, 1975 old? I'll tell you what kind of old religion we need to get back to. We need to get back to day of Pentecost. That's old time religion. You know what kind of religion we need to get back to? Sacrifice and praise and devotion and prayer and fasting and intercession. Yes. I, I, I can do all things. No, Paul is not bragging. He's admitting his insufficiency. Paul does not say that he can do anything. Paul was living through Jesus. In fact, once he said, not I, but Christ that liveth within me. Say it, repeat this with me. Not I. Say it again. Not I. Say not us. This is a lost phrase among us. Not us. We better get back to not I, but it was the Lord that did that. When someone said, how did you do that? You say, well, I don't really know. God did it. How did you make it through? I'm not sure, but, but the Lord lifted me up. I just, I got up one day and my mind was clear and I knew that the Lord had refreshed my spirit. And how did you make it through the trouble? I really don't know. But it was the Lord that brought me through the struggle. How'd you make it through a dark time? It was Jesus that lifted me up and loved me enough. No, no, no. I, I know what's happening today because I've heard this. Well, how did you make it to the death of that loved one? Well, I signed up for this class. I went to, I went to a counselor. I spent 12, 12 weeks here and then I went to a, a focus group. And by the time I got done that, I changed my diet. I got a little better medication. I moved to a place that, that had better climate and there was no, there was no humidity. And then, and that's how I got through it. You're not through it. That was just human engineering. That was human engineering. And God wasn't involved in that at all. How do you get through your rejection? When you're abused. 
Do you know how many people are walking into churches every day? They've been abused, molested. Do you think that anyone has an answer for the people that have been molested as children and have grown up with dysfunctional minds and spirits and wrecked lives? Do you think that anyone has the answer for that? There's no human ingenuity that can solve that problem. It's only by the spirit of the most high God. Only God can solve that. Brother Caleb, and you're in this, you're in this business and we need you and we need your counseling ability. We need, we need you to help us. We need people to be able to confide in you when they come and talk. But I also am thankful that you're a man of God and you know that if God, if God says something to you, you'll relay it to them and it'll help them. But there are no answers that we have and there are no textbooks that we have to help a marriage out that's struggling. It's only by the Lord. How did you get there? Well, I don't really know. That's not what people want to know. They want to know how you got there. Because they think that it's a template. How did you, how'd you do that? You know, I'm not really sure. I went to the altar one day and started praying. God gave me an idea. Went back, started a little business. How'd you build that house? I don't know. I just, what were you good at? I just made cupcakes. I don't know. How'd you have that kind of family? I'm not sure. We just went to church. We prayed. We asked God for help. We really didn't know. We just said, we're just going to live holy and righteous in this world. How'd you learn that? I'm not sure. I just went to, I went to church. I heard the word. I worshiped God. He, He just gave it to me. How'd you get the job? How'd you get that job? You don't have the degree. You don't have the qualifications. You don't, you don't have the, you don't have the authority. You have no experience. How'd you get there? Well, I don't know. Let me just say this one more time. The Lord does not need a door to put you in the room. He don't need a door. He can put you where he wants to put you. Help me. Not I, not I, not I, but you, oh Lord, you are the great God. I have a prophecy the Lord just put in my my mouth. Someone in here, you're going to go somewhere. You're not qualified to get there. When you get there, don't hang your head and poor mouth yourself. You are a mighty person of valor. Don't take confidence in yourself. Just know the Lord put you there. And when he puts you there, then I want you to give God great praise. You're going to come back and worship. I want you to come back and dance in a very unprofessional way. (laughs) Help me. Um, Isaiah, if you'll help me, Isaiah 55. Let's, let's just draw this distinction before we get, get out of here. 
Did you make it? Did you all make it? Will you come back next week, please? Isaiah 55 and 8. For my thoughts. They're not your thoughts. We don't think the same way. Wait a second, let's, let's do this. You've never thought what I thought. You keep thinking the way you think. They're so different. And my way, you, you, got, a, you got a way. It's very small, insufficient way, says the Lord. And this is how far away we are from God. As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways, my thoughts, what I do, don't worry about figuring out because you're never going to figure it out. You just say, I love you, Lord. And the steps of a righteous man are not ordered by the righteous man. The steps of a righteous person are not ordered. They're not contrived by the person who's trying to live right. But they're ordered by the Lord. You don't know where you're going, but the Lord said, here's the next step. Here's the next step. Here's the next path. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. There's no God like you, oh God. There's no Savior like you, Savior. Is there another God before me? I know not any. It is the Lord God Almighty. He reigneth. The omnipotent God reigneth. I'm going to give us a little time for confession. This is our time for confession. Here's what we're going to confess. We're going to confess what David confessed. Who am I that thou art mindful of me? David said, I'm a worm. Who am I, Lord, that you would even consider me? And I confess, Lord, that you've got the whole thing in your hand all the powers in your hand somebody need to say this you got to live for the Lord for all things work together for them that love God and who are called according to his purpose you know what that means your outcome is in the hands of God and if your outcome is in the hands of God this is what the Lord said in Jeremiah these are my thoughts I have for you thoughts of blessing and success good thoughts redeeming thoughts for you come on now we're going to confess right now you are God alone you are the great God come on someone say it I rest on you Lord my hope is in you my trust is in you my help is in you If the Lord said it, you got to rely upon his word. If you said it, you're always going to be in doubt. But if God said it and God, God proclaimed it, then God will do it.